0: Welcome to the Rural Rockstar, a podcast dedicated to empowering rural women with the tools and inspiration to transform their lives and businesses from the inside out. I share my journey of survive to thrive in life and business, and I show what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I also interview other Rockstar women from around the world to inspire you to do it too. My mission is to empower the next generation of rural changemakers to show up and be the leaders we need. I'm Katrina, your Rockstar host. Let's rock. Hello, and welcome back to the Rural Rockstar. I am super excited to be joined today by my
1: very good friend, Meg Durham. Hello, Meg. Hi, Katrina. I am so excited to be here with you today.
0: I know. It's so good. So, Meg and I talk all the time, but it's just, you know, and I knew that I had to have Meg on the show. Absolutely. And um, we've also been saying that really we're going to have to do many episodes, we think, because we've got so much to talk about and so much that we want to share. So I'm sure this will be the first of many episodes with Meg. So I thought I'd just share a little bit about how Meg and I got to know each other and how we came to be here. And then I'm going to hand over to Meg to share her story of, you know, getting into the wellbeing space. So I'm interviewing Meg today, not so much as a rural rock star as such, even though she does have a lot of experience living in rural Australia, but more as a bit of an expert um, and a well-being educator, I guess, because you know what I'm trying to do with this podcast is not only inspire people to be rural rock stars, but also give them the tools and the education and show them how they can go from survive to thrive um, in the edu- on the education side of things. And so that's where Meg really comes into it because she's got so much wonderful talent in that space um, and so much to offer. I think and so much to share, and I love hearing her views on everything. So Meg and I actually met about. I think it's like five or six years ago now, probably five years ago now, at a um event in Daniliquin that our other friend Haley ran. I'm pretty sure that's where we first met. Uh and it me and Haley was running these fantastic events for women uh in Daniloquin. And it was super cool. Uh and I think I just immediately fell in love with Meg because it was at the start of my well-being journey, and everything Meg was saying was just like, Oh my goodness, this this is oh, speaking my language, and it was. Kind of when I didn't really know many other people that were talking about this stuff. So it was awesome. And I think I rang Meg a little while later and said, oh, just I just need to talk to you. Like tell me what you know and how you, you know, how you got to know all this stuff and how do you get to work in this space? And, you know, so it sort of started from there. And um, and and uh, you know, it's kind of, I guess, yeah fell in love with Meg from there. And then we carried on and, and I actually uh, organized for Meg to come and work at our local school and implement her open mind education program there because she was working in schools. And and then so that we had that kind of relationship. And then about 18 months ago, I think it was that Meg, I think you phoned me. We, you'd been listening to the um, Spreading the Good Staff podcast and you gave me a call and it was just so good to chat. And then we ended up like we've now been chatting every Wednesday morning for about I think it's like about eighteen months, and we sort of most Wednesday mornings we have a good old chat, go for a walk together on our phones, not in real life because we live in different places, but and we just chat about whatever rabbit hole we want to go down, and all about well being and you know where we're at in life, and it's just awesome. So hopefully we can sort of bring a bit of that into our conversation today uh, to share with you some of the rabbit holes that Meg and I go down in the well-being space and we love it. So, Meg, would you please just start? I'd love to hear, I think it's I love the story of how you kind of came to be in the well-being space and how you got into this and kind of what inspired you to become so interested in it. So, would you share that story for us to start with?
1: Oh, I'd love to share that story, Katrina. And you sharing how we met just brings me so much joy. I can actually still remember that night in Dinaliquin. You had a white dress on and you were there for the ripple effect. And I thought, this girl has got something special. Oh,
0: thank you. I think and I so it was such time. a
1: special night. And it's been such a joy to see you just absolutely thriving and being an incredible example for people of what's possible when you put in the effort and bring the awareness to the way that you feel and function. So I am so glad to be here. And to start my story off is I'm the youngest of four. And to give people a bit of a context, my mum grew up in West Wyalong, my dad grew up in Hungary, and I was born in Wagga. And <laughs> when I was very young, we all moved to Melbourne. <laughs> and my childhood was an absolute joy. And I was one of those kids that always knew what they wanted to be. I always wanted to be a teacher. I played teachers from the day I can remember. I was always playing teachers. I had all my teddies lined up on their blankets. I remember saying to myself, fingers on lips, heads on pillows. Anyone spoiling it for us? And so teaching for me has always been what I wanted to do. I went through my school years. I had an incredible experience at school. I had some remarkable teachers and some average ones like we all have. And that's what I wanted to be. And I did my studies at uni. So I did my four years and I came out a phys ed and science teacher and I could not believe it. The night before my very first day as a teacher, I could barely sleep. I was so excited to think that I was going to walk into a classroom and be a teacher and get paid for it. Like this is me living my dream. This is so cool. I was so prepared. I was so organized. And once I stepped into that room, I quickly realized I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) These students, these were 25 young people who have completely different experiences. Mm. They come from all different walks of life. And they are looking to me for leadership, for guidance, for everything. And their parents are also looking at me. I was at the ripe age of 21 in that classroom when I started. And I remember in that first week I had parents coming to me like, oh, Meg, she's on the laptop. Can you have a word to her? Oh, this is happening and that's happening. And, oh, we're going through a divorce and all these things. I was like, wow, this is intense. (laughs) And you didn't get trained for that. (laughs) (laughs) not at all this is not why I'm playing schools at home so that first year was really a baptism by fire I just worked as hard as I could doing the best I could to just get through and at the end of the year I thought wow is this what it's like to be a teacher Mm. (laughs) this is hard it is hard to be able to care for so many people and also have enough energy to care for myself. And so I thought it must be the school. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it's the school. <laughs> so I'll, I'll move schools. So I moved schools and I moved to an incredible school. I thought, yeah, this is it. This is educational Disneyland. It's got everything that opens and shuts. Things will be a little bit easier here. And I quickly realised that, no, it's actually not the school. It's the role of teacher that requires so much of people. And there was this moment in my teaching career that really changed things for me. I remember I was teaching a year eight science class. I just finished the class and I thought that was a good one. That was one I actually nailed. I think the girls actually got it. And as I was leaving to go to yard duty, a student asked if they could speak to me. And I remember thinking, yeah, yeah, let's have a chat. I'm on on the way to duty, let's go. And then I looked at her again and I realised that she wanted to have a chat, a proper conversation. This was one of those moments where, okay, drop the things, be late to yard duty and listen. And what that young girl shared with me broke my heart. And thinking about it now really almost brings tears to my eyes because what some of our young people experience every single day, I will never experience and I never have and I never will. And so I felt so unequipped in that moment. I didn't know what to do. Mm. This was a young person reaching out for me and when I studied, there was no such thing as well-being, relationships, crisis management, how do you deal with these? It was all about the content. And so in that moment, I thought, what am I going to do? Here is a young person breaking in front of me. I thought, well, what would mum do? <laughs> and mum would listen. She would make them feel safe and get them to somewhere that they can be supported. And I remember doing that. But ever since that, it really shook me From because this young person on the surface looked like they had it all together. Hmm. They looked like they were ticking the boxes. And it's kind of like when you're out on a road, when you see one kangaroo jump and cross, you think, ooh, there's lots of them. And then all of a sudden they're everywhere. And that's what it was feeling like for me, that it wasn't just this student that was struggling despite appearances. Multiple students were struggling and then I was looking in my staff room and I was with colleagues that were single parents going through divorces, having ageing parents and such, such difficult times and yet we're not dealing with the human nature in education. And it really struggled, I really struggled because I was thinking I'm here to make a difference and yet what really makes a difference is a human side And I'm not skilled in this area. Mm. So that's when I decided to do my master's in education in student wellbeing. And that two-year program opened up my eyes to what is possible with support, encouragement and education. And that wellbeing can be taught and learnt just like numeracy and just like literacy. So from that, that was over 10 years ago, I have been working in schools, working in community, and sharing the messages of well-being. How to take care of yourself while we take care of others so we can together feel and function much, much better.
0: Mm, it's <laughs> it's so interesting, isn't it, that you had your experience is is so fascinating that led you to just want to learn more about well-being. So then I'm interested that you so then you, you kind of did this master's and you realized what you needed to sort of help students with and everything, how did that then, like, did you have your, prior to that, did you have your own wellbeing practice? And then how has that kind of wanting to help students then led you on to, because I know that now you do have a very thorough wellbeing practice, which we talk about all the time. We've got all these tools and we do all this stuff and it's a really important part of both of our lives. So how did you make that? And when did you start to then transition from not just being about supporting the students, but supporting yourself and then supporting other kind of adults, I guess. Like how did that all sort of unfold?
1: Well, it's really interesting you ask because education is one part, but it's really the application and integration that makes it come alive. So once I finished studying, I moved from Melbourne to Toowoomba. And I was working there for a period of time and that's when I really started to play with these ideas in the classroom. And then um, as life happens, I met John, who was living (laughs) west of Gundawindi (laughs) and um, moved out to there. And so it wasn't until probably when I moved to the farm and really, to be really honest, until I had children Mm. that it became integrated. So There was a period of time for, I think, about five or six years where I knew all the things, I knew all the research, I was doing the things most days, but I don't think it was until I had children until it became a non-negotiable. Like This is actually a matter of how I'm going to get through the day or not. Because Mm -hmm. up until then, there was always flexibility in my life, but then When children came along, that flexibility and that ability to recover and take a break was gone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I can relate to that so much too. And it's often like I often share that part of my story as well, that it wasn't until I had kids that I sort of, I guess, became more aware or more conscious that, oh, hang on a minute, (laughs) this is I'm not coping, you know, like I'm not functioning like I really, you know, need to be and want to be and it was having kids that really is that shines a light on that isn't it I think um your story as well is so relatable for so many rural women about well and they're not that they're rural women now but may have started in the city but you meet this man and you end up going back to wherever they are to a farm and and I think for a lot of women they would relate to that story in in terms of, well, the struggle one of having kids living in a remote area. And then what I hear from a lot of women is that feeling of then unfulfilled, like you've given up so much of your life for love, I guess, and your career and so many things. And then that can lead to so much, um, I guess, complexity and struggle for women because they sort of find themselves in these stuck stuck or they think they're stuck um, potentially on these sort of remote farms and not really having their own sense of fulfilment and and then I think struggling with how they can then get that back. And I love, I would love for you to share your story with us about your experience of that, of being, you know, I mean, you lived at, it was near Collie Amberley, an hour from Griffith in the middle of nowhere and, and you sort of had this experience yourself a bit, didn't you, of realising, well, hang on, this is actually not where I want to be forever.
1: Oh, absolutely. And now that I'm sitting here in Geelong and thoroughly engaged in the world and everybody's settled and happy, it's quite interesting to look back, you know, on the last seven or eight years. So originally I moved to where John was. It was an hour from Gundawindi and that was a significant Significant change for me. So I had originally gone from Melbourne to then to Woompa and then to west of Gundawindi. <laughs> and that was not, <laughs> that wasn't on my vision board, I can tell you. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, even meeting John wasn't, that wasn't a part of the plan. You know, it was quite remarkable because I was up visiting one of my good girlfriends from school who was. Um, who was settled and lives out of Gundawindi. And I remember it was a school holiday. It had been really busy. I was in my peak triathlon time. So me um, pre-Gundawindi was, you know, working hard, finished my um, study, you know, doing all the things. And I went up for a holiday there. And I remember as I was driving out there thinking, this is so far from anything. Like (laughs) I could never live here. Like this is just... I can't actually imagine living so far from so many things. And then little did I know that that holiday would change my life because um, my good friend Bridget had kept saying, you know, Johnny's such a good guy. I think you guys would really get on well. And we'd seen each other in the past and we'd seen each other here and there, but we just never really spoke And then there was this moment where he was in the truck and he'd come past and one of my, because we're all up there for the races, you know, as you do on a holiday thing. And another friend said, oh, Meg loves the truck. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So he's like, oh, do you want to come? I was like, okay, yeah, why not? And so here we are sitting in the truck off to Grain Corp to get something tested and we had the best conversation and i was like who is this guy we are talking and you know how i love to talk and go down the rabbit hole from that first conversation i was this guy is special this is something i have never experienced and to this day we still talk like that like we talked this morning for an hour like we love to talk and that was when I realised at the end of that week after lots of rides in the truck and lots of talking, I thought, wow, this is so special. And when I left, I was not sure what would happen because, you know, I was living a different lifestyle and as life had it, fast forward and we're still talking to this day. But the transition for me when I moved out to Gundawindi was so hard. Oh, yeah. So hard. You know, I had gone from teaching body pump doing all the things, like just being an active citizen out in the world, doing things, to being on a farm. I can still remember this one fight we had over the dishwasher, you know. So it was an argument over the dishwasher ended in me with, well, I've changed my whole life and I'm (laughs) out of here. (laughs) And I remember, like, going out, like, where am I going to (laughs) go? like I can't walk to anywhere like I literally just went for a walk around the wheat paddock I still remember thinking oh gosh this is like I can't escape yeah and I think that was the first uh, moment for me of real maturity because previous to this point in my life I'd always been able to escape I've been able to go to my parents house I've been able to go out for a wine I'd been able to go somewhere to escape and then come back but once you live on a farm you can't actually just escape and then come back. You actually escape but come back to it. It's You have to deal with reality. So I think that first year was really, really tough, but it was also really foundational for me because it made me have to deal with stuff that I didn't like. I couldn't just escape life. I had to deal with it. And at the end of that 12 months, I said, I love you, but this is too far from my family. Like, my family's in Melbourne. I will go anywhere within five hours of Melbourne. So, we ended up <laughs> in Colliambly in southern New South Wales. And we were there for five years. So, once we first moved to Colliambly, my business was really taking off it worked well because I could travel, I could visit different schools in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria. I was like, this is great. Farm life's great. I love being here. I love being able to go. We got married and then we had our first child. And all of a sudden, I can't just leave. I can't just go. I can't just travel. And I don't actually know what I was thinking pre-child. I don't even think I gave it much thought to the 24-7 nature of it. And what it actually means to have a child an hour from your local Woolies, an hour from daycare and no family around. I hadn't actually thought through the practicalities and the logistics and it was so hard. Mm, Yeah. So hard because I was so used to being out in the world and I was at home and not just at home where I could walk to a park, like at home looking out to a paddock and the same paddock and I really struggled but then I eventually found my feet and I made the commitment to go into town and for our first son to go to daycare twice a week and that changed so much for me even though I couldn't get home in between I had to go into town and stay into town it was worth it for me because it gave me a sense of my own space. It gave me a sense of autonomy. It may, means I could do all of the jobs without juggling. It means I could go to the gym. I had a lovely mother's group in Griffith. We would go to the gym together, have a little bit of a catch up, and I really felt like I was getting my feet again. And that was a really lo- lovely phase. I remember really enjoying that when I found a balance between being on the farm but also being out in the world. And it wasn't until we had our second, we were pregnant with our second, that things really started to get a bit trickier. So my pregnancy with our second son was um, quite tricky. There was complex things about it. So that meant I had to travel from Colliambly to Melbourne fortnightly, so um, for a scan. So that round trip, oh gosh, I can't even tell you what it was now, but it was I would literally. Um, head off on a Monday afternoon, have my scan first thing Tuesday morning and be back. And that was absolutely exhausting.
0: Mm.
1: Imagine being pregnant, travelling to Melbourne every fortnight and then also dealing with a very active toddler. And that was quite tricky. And my husband at the time was involved in the uh, rural leadership program, which is an incredible program, but also means that they travel a lot for that program. So there was the logistics of that. And then once our second son was born, um, we, we had that, our son in Melbourne, so that all worked well and he was born healthy and everything um, went well. But a part of um, what our second son, James, has, he's got a hearing loss. And so a hearing loss is something that's really manageable, something we can work with. But when you're in um, Colliambly, there's not as many services. So for James to go to the local hearing Australia that could deal with his hearing loss it was a two and a half hour trip to Shepparton Hmm. and so regular trips to Shepparton to for the hearing loss for hearing tests and then you or I'd have to go to the hospital and the hospital say can you make sure that he's awake for testing so when he gets here we can sleep and it was just exhausting Katrina Hmm. I had an active toddler I had zero support um like in the day today, John was incredible. He did what he could do, but as far as like family and just people around that could come over and have a cup of tea or just hold the baby, it was not available. Mm. And as I was going through this, I was slowly thinking, I don't know if I can keep this up. Like my life has become so hard. It's all about logistics. Like my life has become, looking at the calendar on a Sunday thinking about logistics how can I get to this place how can I get the supermarket shopping how can I just survive this week and so I thought okay I've got a choice here what am I going to do how can I move out of this situation like well we can't leave the farm um I'm not sure what I can do with work because I can't actually get to work and now I've got to like the daycare things really tricky um I really don't know what I'm going to do You know, I'm in that transition phase of maybe it's going to get better, maybe it won't. And so what I did is I called upon my wellbeing skills and knowledge and thought I've got to walk my talk here. And so what I did is I got completely teacherized and I created a tick sheet. And I just thought I've got to do these five things every day. So that included some movement, included getting to bed early, included some supplements and included um connection like I had to talk to somebody like talking to people is really important to me and then um the fifth one was I can't remember what it was at the time so I was doing these five uh, supplements actually like getting onto broths and green green juices just like the basics so I had these five basic things I had to do every day and I just created this tick sheet and I thought I don't know what my future holds. But until I know, until I can make a decision, I've just got to take care of myself. I've got to get myself and my headspace to a point where I can make some good quality decisions. So it was quite a few months of actually really getting serious about taking care of myself and really thinking about how do I want to live my life? How do I want the future for me to be, for the the boys to be, you know, having these conversations with John? Because... How I felt was that my wings were getting clipped. I'd gone from someone that was absolutely flying to slowly, slowly just becoming a shell of myself. You know, I didn't feel like I was out in the world doing what I want to do. I felt like I had just got, got to a point where I was just getting through and getting through the best I could, but it wasn't what I wanted
0: hmm it's yeah it's it's that must have been so so hard but I bet there's a lot of women that can relate to that exact story and I think what I'd love to I've written down a few things to ask you about there really but from from knowing you so well and knowing your story so well and knowing what happened I I really feel like it was how well you you can tell us how important was it for you to implement all those things first because I know the next part of the story but you had to get yourself to a point where you could have a discussion with John around what your next moves were going to be I mean obviously you guys have a really good relationship but how important was it to get yourself to a position where you could make a clear decision before you and, and to get the strength I guess to even make that next decision like do you think that was really sort of crucial?
1: Oh, I think it's vital. Yeah. Because it's hard to make good decisions when you're exhausted, when you're overwhelmed. Because when we are exhausted and overwhelmed and depleted, we make decisions to just remove the pain. You know, the grass is greener. It's like when I move schools, if I just moved schools, it would be better. Uh, no. I'm still at that new place. I'm still at that new school. (laughs) Wherever you are, there you are with all your Mm. stuff. (laughs) Um, And so it's so important to look after yourself because it's actually really hard to acknowledge that you're not where you want to be. You know, so for a long time, I really tried to make it work. And I was telling myself that, no, 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 you're happy. This is good. This is great. You know, you love John. This is good. This is just a part of it. Um, We can make this work. And that's my mentality. My mentality is I can make this work. If Mm -hmm. I just work harder, I can make it work. I can just crack it. And so then I had to say to myself, well, is it workable? You know, at the end of the day, you could make it work But at what cost? Mm. You know, and when I started, so the analogy I can share is it's kind of like if, like a a diver, like a scuba diver, they have to have weights on them so they can get down. And I felt like the weight of life was pulling me down and I had to kick so hard to keep my head above water every day. Mm. And if I didn't kick and I didn't keep my head above water, things would start to fall apart. And I just, had this moment of realisation that I don't want to have to kick so hard just to get through my day. This Mm. is not what I really want and to actually acknowledge to myself that I'm not happy here. This is not the future that I want for myself and it's not the future that I want for my children. I want my children to witness me alive and engaged and out and about in the world and so they can see that example. I don't want them to witness me a shell of myself feeling overwhelmed losing confidence and not feeling like I belong and so to actually just acknowledge that um was so hard so heartbreaking but then also it was so liberating as well it was like opening the cage like just to be honest with myself that yeah I'm not happy and I have the choice now. I can continue to stay here now that I know that I'm unhappy and that's going to influence my relationship with John anyway because if I'm not happy, it's hard to be in relationship with some. Like when you're not happy, it's hard to engage in meaningful relationships. Mm. And so our relationship would, you know, that would be really tough if I just continue to pretend like everything's good or I can have this conversation with him that I know is going to be really hard and I also don't know what he's going to say. Like yeah. I hope that he will be like, yeah, let's work on this together. But I don't know because my greatest fear is could he move from a farm and or have some a different lifestyle? I was thinking maybe we could move into Griffith and he could um, drive out to the farm or like do a bit of this and that. Uh, and so when I s- said to him, you know, I've been working so hard And I just can't make this work anymore. Like, I think I've got 12 months in me. Mm. Um, He's like, okay, you're right. Wow. (laughs) We'll have to work on this. And we just let it sit for a few days. And we didn't have a plan. It was just, this is where we're at. And I was honestly thinking, we're going to move to Griffith. (laughs) We're going to move to Griffith and then I can get on and life will be good. And it was a few days later that John said, well, how about we move to Geelong
0: (laughs) whoa
1: (laughs) I I didn't realize that was on the cards because we'd always planned for secondary schooling I was like wow I didn't think that was an option but yeah let's do it (laughs) and I did not know that that would ever be a possibility a week before that conversation
0: yeah okay so there's so much in this that I want to pick out but first Okay, so I can imagine that a lot of women when you're saying that would go, oh, my husband would never do that. He would never leave. So that's one thing that I would like us to address. The other thing I think is the really important distinction or the the thing to highlight in your process was that you didn't, it wasn't a running away um, and you you very kind of with a lot of awareness worked through where you were at and you really did give it your best shot and you really had to go and you 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 did all your tools and you implemented all your stuff so you knew that you were making a decision that that actually was, you know, well thought out and 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 that you needed to do and it wasn't just from a place of fear as much as as it was from a place of no this is what I really need. Um so I think I think that was that was obviously really important but a lot of people would probably find that hard i think to to know like what's my intuition and what's just running away from fear and and also how do i get myself to that point to make that really clear decision but then i mean how how do you like cuz i imagine there would be a lot of women in similar positions but they would say well my husband will never leave like i can't i can't have these conversations with him like i think that would be a big barrier for a lot of people is how do i have these very difficult conversations If I want to make change and if I want to, if I'm not happy, you know, like, can you talk to that a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. I think we just do not know what the other person is thinking. Mm. You never know. We can assume we can project, but you never know. I didn't know that John would be able to receive that information and actually sit with it for a little while and think about it. I didn't know um, and we also were in a different position because it was a management role, It what like a farm manager, it's not a family, so I, I know the complexities of family business. Yes. But at the end of the day, what I try to think of is not what's happening in the moment because we can get so caught up on what's happening in the moment. I like to put myself in five years' time, mm. like in five yeah. years' time, which decision is going to lead me towards a more meaningful life for me? Mm. What decision, like when it comes to decision-making, what feels better for you? Like what feels like a weight and what feels like a relief? Like it felt like such a relief for me as much as I was petrified to actually have the conversation and acknowledge the reality. Um, And, you know, my friends and family – they would have been able to see this a mile off. It's not foreign to them, but when you're in it, it's different. Mm, mm. I felt such a relief. So I think about if you're in this decision of what do I do, think about how it feels in your body. How does it feel in your body for you to stay in this situation for another five years? Mm. How does it feel in your body for you to slowly make changes over the next five years? So that may not be moving off farm. That may be engaging in projects that light you up that may Mm. be going off to do netball because you used to do netball that may be going back to work that may be giving yourself permission to have a cleaner to have um daycare you know so many women have this expectation of the perfect mother the perfect mother cooks all the meals it provides all the care it's the domestic goddess looks amazing like actually think about what lights you up and how can you work towards making that happen within your reality that's not dependent on somebody else's permission? Like, can you g- give yourself permission to slowly walk towards what lights you up?
0: Oh, I love that because I actually wrote that down because I think it's, it's really important to acknowledge that maybe leaving the farm, especially as you say, like farm, family farming businesses as a whole is a whole, has a whole other range of complexities and you can't, it's not as easy necessarily as just walking away. Although one big message that I've been thinking about a lot lately is you are never stuck. Like, I think that is a really important thing for people to know that they're never stuck. You can always change. Like as hard as that sounds, there is always flexibility to change. But I was also thinking that exactly what you're saying there, what can you do to find in your everyday? It's like one of the things that you and I often talk about is Learning to love the life you've got now while creating the life of your dreams. So if leaving a farm or leaving a situation that you're in is not, you know, it's not possible tomorrow, well, how can you start to bring in more joy and happiness and, and just more fulfilment where, where you are at, like what is possible, exactly what you said, what's possible with where you're at now? And I'm so glad that you talked about that. And I I think that's really important for people to know because the last thing you want to do is get even more miserable about the fact that you can't leave or you are stuck. Like it's like, okay, well, this is my reality, and how do I work with that? And so to follow on from that, how important then have your well-being practices been throughout this process because this is something i love to get into because i think you know and i love what you said earlier is that you can teach well-being like you can teach geography and science i wanted to touch on that but how important is it because you know it's something that i think so many people still just don't value is their well-being practices so how important is that for you now and what are some of the things that you do daily to keep yourself i don't know feeling good and functioning well as you would say <laughs>
1: So to keep myself feeling good and functioning well, well well-being to me is not a luxury. Mm -hmm. You know, it's my responsibility. If I want to show up as a mother, as a wife, as a teacher, as a coach, I need to have the energy to do that in the way that lights me up. Because as humans, we are wired for survival. So our default mechanism is to just get through the day. Just get through the day without being killed by anybody and that's survival, you know. (laughs) So to move beyond our natural wiring and to more into our humanness, which is why we've got a brain that has so many complex structures that allows us to think beyond the moment, we need to be well. And so for me it's vital because I want to live a conscious life where I'm in the driver's seat and I'm making decisions. I don't want life to just happen to me. I don't want to feel like I'm at the mercy of everybody around me and the demands of life. I want to feel like I have some autonomy and that I can make conscious choices. I have the ability to prioritize and to make things happen. And I know that the only way for me to get there is to do the basics every single day. Well-being is a daily practice. It's an Take requires active participation. There is no shortcuts, there is no magic bullet. It is about showing up for yourself every single day in ways that are meaningful for you. So, what works for me may not work for you. It's about finding what works for you and sticking to it. And then, once you stick to it long enough, you start to realize, wow life is so much easier when you can think clearer because you're making better decisions. And once you're thinking clearer making better decisions, you're much more confident in your decisions. So it's, it means absolutely everything to me. It's the difference between living a survival life and we're living a thriving life.
0: Oh, I completely agree with you, as you know. Um, and I feel exactly the same way. And I think this is so intertwined with having the awareness and the ability to make the changes that you need to make to live a fulfilling life because if you're just stuck in survival mode and you've got no awareness, then it's very, very hard to to ever feel fulfilled or to even know what you need to feel fulfilled. So you've got to start with getting these basics right of feeling good and, you know, allowing your mind to feel well enough that you can start to think about what do you really need to live a fulfilled life? Um, so, yeah, I completely agree with with exactly what you've said. And, you know, both of us love the wellbeing stuff so much. And I just think you can't, we can't talk about it enough. You know, there's still so many people who are just so stuck in that survival mode and, and, you know, finding it such a struggle. So what would you say, because this is another thing that you and I talk about a lot is, is that challenge of making change. So for someone who's, and I think we could probably do, we, we could, we've actually done, oh, which we must mention is our Instagram TV um, sessions that you and I did. And we did a whole one on change, if anyone wants to go and check that out. But someone who's, you know, I guess must have a little bit of awareness that so they're struggling with a weight issue or they're struggling with a relationship issue or, you know, what's the advice to them on how to start making change? Because exactly like you said earlier, our brains are wired for survival. They're, they're, you know, it's wired to keep us safe. So change is really hard. So, what's your advice to someone who's thinking, okay, well, I want to make a change, but I just can't and I'm really struggling?
1: The first step is to acknowledge where you are. Mm-hmm. To just acknowledge that you may not be happy with the relationship. You may not be happy with the way that you feel in your body. You may not be happy with, um, your energy levels whatever it is just to acknowledge where you are and then it's about where do you want to be how do you want to feel and then how do you bridge that gap you know and how we bridge that gap the first step is a commitment you need to have a commitment to do something differently because if you don't do anything differently nothing changes So you have to actually commit to some kind of action. And then once you commit to the action, you actually have to have the courage to do it, to work through that discomfort and just do it. So this could be a simple thing as you're not going to do snooze in the morning. From now on, you're not snoozing, you know, so that's a commitment. It's a small act that has a big impact. That's your commitment. You're not going to snooze. The courage to just put your feet on the floor. When you hear that alarm, feet on the floor, feet on the floor, courage. The third step is consistency every single day. So it becomes this neural pattern. So the way that our brain works, it likes to do what it does. So it likes the familiar. So when we're changing our pathways, it doesn't like it very much. Mm -hmm. So using the analogy of your preferred writing hand, that's easy. But if you were to change hands, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. So change is awkward and it's uncomfortable and it takes practice. So you've got the commitment, the courage, the consistency, and the most important piece in any wellbeing process is compassion Mm. because we are human. We are drawn to the familiar. When we're tired, when we're exhausted, we're drawn towards those (laughs) behaviours that don't really serve us. So the compassion for the humanness and the final piece is a community. You know, I am surrounded by people that are walking their talk, you know, our conversations. I'm surrounded by people now that support me so I know that I can listen to a, um, Katrina's podcast and that's going to give me a little bit of a lift or I can do this, I can do that and I can reach out. So it's really an ongoing process of commitment, courage, consistency, compassion and community. Oh, is that your thing? I, I mean, I saw your post on that. Did you come up with that one, or is
0: that something you borrowed?
1: Yeah, this is something I came up with recently. Oh. You know, the seed to think about, and it's, it's so good never at this straight- stuff, Meg. I love that so much. I, I always steal your
0: things. Like you've got the battery one. You're so good with the analogies and the metaphors. I love it. I love that one. It just nails
1: it. And it's a cycle. It's a It's not. It's messy. You know, as humans, we don't like mess. Mm -hmm. We like things to be clean and tidy and change is not clean and tidy. It's messy, but also the strength and the confidence that you build through going through the process is invaluable. Like it's building your resilience muscle. Like That is what resilience is, to move through discomfort and get to the other end knowing that that's your effort that got you there. Yes, and
0: I completely agree with you and I've been thinking about this a lot more lately is the compassion piece is so so important because when you whenever you're trying to implement any kind of change you will inevitably start and fail and start and fail and you know and it's so easy and this is where the diet industry just feeds off this is that it's that shame cycle because if you start and then you get stuck in shame you just you can never get going again. So you have to have that compassion piece. That every time you fall off the wagon, you just say, "Okay, yep, I stuffed up, but off I go again," and and don't get stuck in that shame cycle. But it's so interesting, isn't it? That it's so easy to talk about these things, and when you know they sound so simple, but the reality of actually implementing them—I mean, this, yeah, this is the this is the human struggle. This is what we all struggle with so much. I mean, of course, everyone wants to just. Lose weight, stay committed, do all this stuff. But it's like, and I think this, this little, this, um, these five steps that you've got, you're, I love that because it is this cycle. You've just got to keep coming back to this cycle, keep trying, bring all these pieces into it and keep on going because, you know, otherwise it's just so hard, isn't it?
1: It's so hard. And Katrina, the way that I look at it, it's hard either way. Mm. Like it's hard to be living a life that doesn't light you up like that is hard work like it's hard work to constantly avoid a life and to be in anxiety and to numb out the world like that's hard work and it's hard work to make a change so you get to pick which hard work you want you know but one way leads to a life that lights you up either way it's hard you just get to pick
0: yeah exactly and I think that's why conversations like this and, and the work that you and I are trying to do is so important because I think it's important for people to know that it is possible to live a life that lights you up as well. And I think it, the more examples we can see of people doing that, the better because I think it's very easy to think that survival is the only option and that a, a life of kind of melancholy and you know negativity and uh, I guess being stuck is your only option. But it doesn't have to be that way. And and certainly what i'm trying to show through this podcast and interviewing incredible women like you is that there is a- another way is possible and, and there are ways to do it and it does take work but it's so worth it i mean you and i can certainly attest to that absolutely um so meg do you know i think that we might wrap it up here on the premise that this is the foundation setting interview with you because i i think it's been so wonderful to hear your story i mean i just I love listening to it every time. I was nearly tearing up at a few moments there. And I just feel I feel so privileged that I'm on this journey with you and listening to listening to all of that and knowing your story so well is so special. And I think that I would like this to be our, our first foundation episode for many more rabbit hole discussions with you. I, I love the idea of us having lots more chats where we just, you know, riff on a topic and we just go down the rabbit hole because I think that'll be so valuable for people. So for people. So thank you so much for the chat today. It was so good as always. Gosh, there was just so much good stuff and gold in what you shared and you just have such a brilliant way of explaining things and, and, um, and making it so relatable and, you know, getting complex topics and making them so understandable for people. So thank you so much, Meg.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Katrina. I absolutely love what you do. I think I'm your absolute number one fan. I just think it's absolutely incredible. And I think for people, particularly in rural Australia, to have examples of women that are shining and loving what they're doing, I think it has a massive ripple effect because it's not just the women, it's the next generation. The next generation can look to see that wow there's choices you know we choose how we live our life and what lights us up and what lights me up doesn't light the other person up and that we're all here to have a wonderful experience on the planet we're not here just to survive we're truly here to thrive
0: oh yes absolutely and thank you for helping me share that vision and you know for for spreading that around and for helping me spread that ripple effect, Meg. I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you. I love it. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I will look forward to our next chat that we're going to share with people. Thanks, mate.